You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Appreciate that gift of music today. And I do want to encourage you, man. Uh, I enjoy having those instruments up here, and I know there's uh, we've got people that are using those talents, but I believe there's some others that uh, may not have thought about it, but that you've got a talent like that you can use. We'd sure love to allow you to, to do that. In Acts chapter number 24, um, at the conclusion of a big summer in 79 AD, Drusilla, a wealthy and quite lovely aristocrat, along with her son, they took a, a luxurious vacation to the beautiful resort city of Pompeii. One evening, after a few days of feasting and dancing, there was an earthquaking rumble that shook the entire city. Of course, this really alarmed Drusilla and her son, but the residents around Pompeii were pretty used to uh, earthquakes and things of that nature. It had become a pretty common thing uh, in the days leading up to this particular day. So for them, it was just a growl, the growl of Mount Vesuvius. Until a few moments later, there was an explosion as Vesuvius erupts. The response was that people, many people, tried to find shelter. Uh, some people tried to flee. And the thing you've got to understand is that uh, right away after the explosion, there did begin to be, be some debris uh, and uh, stones and so forth that began to fall. Uh, but it had gone so high up in the air, it was a little intermittent, at least initially. So people were trying to decide whether I take shelter or do we try to flee from, you know, what may be worse to come. Many people decided to take shelter there that day. But the conditions soon grew worse as more and more ash fell. The ash cloud covered the sun and fell from the sky at a rate of about six inches per hour. It clogged the air, making it difficult to breathe. From the earthquake, buildings began to collapse. Then a pyroclastic surge, a 100 mile per hour surge of superheated poisonous gas and pulverized rock poured down the side of the mountain and swallowed everything and everyone in its path including Drusilla and her son. A few years earlier, Drusilla had had the opportunity of a lifetime, but she passed. More specifically, Drusilla, along with her husband Felix, procrastinated. But the time of her death came a lot quicker than the time, whatever time, she may have been putting off for. And we read about this moment in the book of Acts. And uh, I had a couple pictures here. I, I, when I saw the connection of these two stories between uh, Vesuvius, of course, this is, uh, many of you are familiar with the famous, uh, some of these famous scenes from uh, Pompeii, and there's another one that I had there. Just amazing how fast, I mean, that, that goes back, again, that was 79 AD when that took place. And I know there's some people in the church that have actually, uh, I believe, that have been there to see that. Uh, but it just really intrigued me. I've always been fascinated with Vesuvius and Pompeii and these images uh, in particular. I'd love to go there someday. Uh, but when I saw that there was a biblical connection there, it really intrigued me. And so I want to read about a woman who was there 
that she and her son experience this horrifying, one of the greatest natural disasters on earth. But we read about here just a few, few years earlier here in the book of Acts, chapter 24, and I want to begin reading in verse 24, where the Bible says, And after certain days, when Felix and his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, just to get you up to speed here, I encourage you to go read this whole chapter later. But Paul had been imprisoned based on false accusations of the religious leaders. And by the way, you can mark it down. The number one enemy going all the way back to just outside of Eden between Cain and Abel, the number one enemy of true faith in Christ and a true relationship and walk with God from the very beginning, folks, has been religion. Number one enemy. See, Cain, he, he, he with the work of his hands was going to bring something to God rather than do what God said, which is to bring a sacrifice. It's not based on your works, but there was a teaching that someone else must bear these sins of yours. But the religious leaders had falsely accused Paul. He had been locked up, and now he's standing before Felix. Felix is the governor of Judea. And he had the authority to set Paul free. But for political reasons, as we'll see here at the end of the chapter, for political reasons, he held Paul, and even though it was under house arrest, so this was one of the, more, uh, one of the better times of Paul's imprisonments, but he was put under basically house arrest because Felix knew that the man wasn't guilty. But he didn't let him go, as we'll find out, because he was trying to please uh, the Jews. But uh, so let's continue on there. That's verse 24, verse 25. So here's Paul standing before Felix and his wife. And the Bible says, as he reasoned, Paul reasons with Felix, with Drusilla. He reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Notice this. Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. So he didn't just out and out say, I don't want nothing to do with this message. I don't want nothing to do with this Christ. There was, there was something intriguing enough, and may I say, there was something powerful enough about this message that it literally caused Felix to tremble. As he came face to face with the righteousness of God and the reality of his sins and, and, and the reality of judgment to come. But he didn't say, no, get out of here with that stuff. He just said, get out of here with that stuff for now. But when the time's convenient, I would like to hear more about it. You know, for, for him, he was putting it off to whatever convenient time would be. But I'm telling you, people still put off a decision for Christ to a lot of times a more convenient time. The Spirit of God gets a hold of people's hearts, and as we see in this passage, this man was clearly under conviction. God was clearly dealing with this man's heart. But I'm telling you, he denied uh, that working in his life. And I've known people that have put it off to next week. I've known people that procrastinate to Sunday. And by the way, preaching about procrastination, if I was to get real, real practical about a message on procrastination, uh, man, I would be a sinful man preaching to you. Let me tell you something. Because I'm a procrastinator. And I have every intention of 
correcting this procrastination in my life, Connie. And I'm going to start on it tomorrow, right? Uh, I'm a procrastinator. Let me tell you something. I wanted to procrastinate the day that I came face to face with my sinful condition. When I came face to face with my need for Christ, I wanted to procrastinate. Anybody else? Did anybody else, did it cross anybody else's mind when God's convicting you, drawing him to yourself, and then you thought to yourself, well, man, I could wait till next week. I could wait till later. I could wait till I'm older. But I am so glad by the grace of God, I did not procrastinate. Amen. I'm glad that the Lord saved my soul and changed my life that night. I did not procrastinate. But these people procrastinated. Now, let me tell you just a couple of background thoughts, and then I want to give you the, the message, uh, a little bit of the message that Drusilla and Felix heard that day. Number one, a couple background thoughts. The people that he's preaching to. Felix, of course, he's the governor of Judea. I mentioned that to you. Felix's name means happy. Happy. Uh, the word felicity is kind of connected with the name. He was a former slave who, along with his brother, his brother was really the, the moneymaker and the one with more uh, influence with uh, Claudius Caesar, but he and his brother, they, they rose from being slaves to actually being freed men. They did this by some very, uh, uh, very unsavory means. They were pretty wicked men, but they earned a lot of money and they, they gained some favor with, with Caesar at the time, Claudius Caesar. And so he appointed Felix to be the governor of Judea. He gave him a position. But Felix had a reputation for cruelty. For cruelty and for extreme violence. He also had a reputation for excess. He took full advantage of his appointment. Historians wrote of Felix that with savagery and lust, he exercised the powers of a king with the disposition of a slave. That's who Felix was. Now, Drusilla. We introduced the message by talking about Drusilla. Drusilla was a Jewess, which just means she was a Jew. She was known to be one of the most beautiful women of that time. Historically speaking, you can go back and read about these people. This is a historic account, but you can read other historic accounts. And that's where you find out that Drusilla was known to be one of the most beautiful women that people had ever laid their eyes on. Drusilla. Um, now, she was, comes from an interesting family. Her father was Agrippa I. Agrippa I killed the biological, on his mother's side, brother of Jesus, James. Her great-uncle killed John the Baptist. And her great-grandfather, Herod the Great, was responsible for the slaughter of the babies in Bethlehem during the time of uh, Jesus' birth. So that's who this woman's family is, Drusilla. Interesting family background. Well, you ask yourself, how did this lovely couple meet? <laughs> um, well, the way they met is Felix had known of Drusilla. Drusilla's beauty was, it was a thing of fame. It was a thing that people knew about. She was married off at the age of 14, um, but uh, Felix heard about her, and so he actually hired a sorcerer 
to go convince her and try to help seduce her to come live the happy life. Remember his name's Happy? Come live with Felix. And so literally a sorcerer, uh, this is all historic record, uh, a sorcerer went and seduced and drew her away and convinced her just to up and leave her husband and go marry Felix. And that's how these two uh, lovely birds got together here. Uh, so here they are sitting. He's, he's preaching to a very wicked man of power. Uh, he's speaking to an adulterer and adulteress as they sit up there together. Um, and Paul has the opportunity to speak uh, and to give this little sermon. Now, now, how did the things come about in Acts chapter number 4? Now, this part you'll have to let me imagine on a little bit. One evening, like any other couple would do, Felix and Drusilla were trying to decide what to do on date night. And uh, so Felix asked Drusilla, huh, so what do you want to do tonight, honey? And of course, you know what she said. I don't care. It's up to you. She don't care. It's up to you. Okay, why don't we go out to Texas Roadhouse? And I imagine they had those there. I mean, uh, it would be a shame if they didn't. Why don't we go to Texas Roadhouse and follow and we'll go see a movie? And of course, Drew Silla says, well, I don't want to go there. And I don't want to do, I thought you said it didn't matter and whatever I wanted to do. Well, finally, they went back and forth a little bit, and, and uh, she says, well, I don't want to do that same old thing again. And then he says, well, you know what? Have you heard of Paul? I've told you about him. He's the guy, he's got all of the Jews stirred up. He's got Romans stirred up. This is an interesting little Jew that I've already uh, had, had. You know what? He's down there in the prison. Why don't we call him up and, and see what he has to say? Sounds like a good idea. So that's what they do. I don't know about any of that part, okay? But I do know that they are there together hearing the Apostle Paul. So, here's Paul. Here's Felix. Here's Drusilla. Now, I want to say something about providence. Providence. Now, God had made an appointment with this ungodly couple. God had an appointment. Now, I, I kind of paint that out there because, remember, if you look at it from one standpoint, my standpoint that I was trying to give, this was just date night. And if you were to ask, if you were to ask Felix and Drusilla, oh, why did y'all call Paul? Why are y'all sitting here today? They would say, well, we didn't want to do the same old thing. We want to do something different. And we just thought we'd sit here and call Paul up. I don't know what was on their mind, and I don't know what their motivation was, but I know what was on God's mind. See, because man, we make plans sometimes. For instance, you ask me, in uh, 1992, that goes back a few years, why did you go to Harvest Baptist Church? My answer would be, well, I went there for a funeral. But if you were to ask God, why did Jesse go to Harvest Baptist Church? Providence says, no. Jesse went to, to Harvest Baptist Church so that he could hear the gospel preached. He went to Harvest Baptist Church so he could hear the gospel preached so that the Spirit of God would convict his heart and show him his need for a Savior. You see, I'm talking about providence. Because providence 
is God working in many ways, but in terms of salvation, it's working to bring something, bring people to Himself. See, you think about this. That's the way God works. And it's much like today. I think about this. Why are you here today? Oh, well, I'm just here because, uh, you know. But ask God. God, why am I here today? Because I'll tell you one thing right now. If you're here today and you're not saved by the grace of God, I know the Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish. So you know what that tells me? That tells me that since He has... That, that Christ is not only the propitiation for us, as the, the Apostle John says, but for the whole world. I know that if you're not saved, providentially, you're here today, just like Felix and Drusilla, with a divine appointment. He wants you to hear the gospel. He wants you to, to, to come to Him. He wants you to have the opportunity to be saved and forgiven of your sins, to be put in a right relationship with Him. Now, but if you're here today and you're saved by God's grace, don't just dismiss why you're here. I think many of us are here hopefully saying, well, I come to hear from God. I come to worship, I come to serve, and I come to hopefully hear from God when the Word of God is open. But I'm telling you, God had something in mind. These two had an appointment. Now, if you just think for a little bit again, as we just try to, try to build the background of what's going on here in our text, think about this. There is a man, a weak-looking probably worn out looking Jew, little guy, rough looking, standing before this glorious couple. This man standing here in chains. I mean, from an earthly standpoint, there's quite the contrast. But there's just as much contrast from a spiritual standpoint. Because the man that's in physical chains is free. And the man that seems to be in power and control is bound by his sin. The, the, his beautiful wife that sits next to him is in the same situation there's a contrast there one looks uh, weak and impoverished and, but I'm telling you the other one looks they, they sit there in wealth and power but I'm telling you you know what that's an interesting contrast to me because as much as I think about part of this message being to anyone who may hear this message who does not know Christ as your Savior do not procrastinate but number two, if you are here and you're saved by God's grace, there's lessons that we can learn about how that we are to engage and to confront our culture today, because, as Paul is doing here. And you know, isn't it something, here's Felix and Drusilla, they're just entertaining the, 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 the poor, humble Jew that's there before them. And they feel like they're in such a place of control and power. They're so much better than this poor guy. And is that not the way oftentimes the, 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 the world looks at the church? You know, just weak and, 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 and maybe roughed up a little bit, and then they look at themselves. I mean, it's almost like, as if the world would grace the church with their presence or with their acknowledgement. But I'm telling you, if you've seen it from a different perspective, you see the instrument that God has to help introduce you to the God of creation. Because that's what Paul was in this situation. He was the instrument of God Almighty. God Almighty was opening up an opportunity for Paul to preach and for Felix and Drusilla to hear this glorious message. Now, so before we look at the message, let's look quickly at his motive. Uh, the Bible says there in verse number 25, it says, And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Now, why would he do this? Now, you've got to remember something. 
Paul is having another opportunity to stand before the man who could just say, you know what, Paul, these guys are wrong about you. You can go free. So Paul could have come before them and said, hey, one more time I want to tell you while I'm not guilty. Or else maybe try a different tactic. I'm going to try to buddy up to this guy. Maybe if he likes me, I see Drusilla sitting there. Uh, maybe if I can get her to like me, maybe she can convince him to let me. But that's not his motive. See, he understands his moment in time. He understands that he is there for such a time as this. And God Almighty lays a message upon his heart. And he says, I know exactly what I'm going to say when I get the opportunity to stand before Felix and Drusilla. And folks, I hope that we as God's people can understand that we're here for this time. And that we have a message for this world. We have a message for this world from God Almighty. We're ambassadors for Christ as Paul was an ambassador here. We see his motive. The motive that he had. Number one, Paul was seeking to a man, again, that thought he was in total control. But Paul's going to try to challenge him on that and remind him that God's in control. In 1 Corinthians 9.16, the Bible says, For necessity, here's what Paul said, Necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. You know the message that the church has today is the gospel. Amen? May we not ever get away from the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, and the reason for that death, burial, and resurrection. That's our message. Hey, there's great messages in the Bible, and I want to preach them all. The Bible has a lot to say about, you know, uh, our homes. And it has a lot to say about how that we can live our lives and our motives and our, uh, you know, obtaining all that God has uh, for us in our lives and living the abundant life. I love preaching about all those things. But man, our message to this world needs to be that Jesus Christ died and rose again. Why He died. Why He went to the cross for our sins. And that He carried our sins there that day. And He died to pay the penalty for our sins. And He rose again the third day. Woe is unto me, the apostle said, if I preach not the gospel. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Okay, so the Bible says he reasoned with him there in verse 24. He reasoned with him. We, we persuade men. Now, did you know that per, persuasion uh, is not a popular thing? We persuade men. In other words, we try to convince men. Let me tell you something. Felix and Drusilla weren't interested in being persuaded. No more than people today are interested in being persuaded. See, because the idea of persuasion says that you must have your mind or you must be on a different path, but I want to try to persuade you to go in a different direction. See, what the world wants today and what too many churches and preachers are obliged to do is to get, give an encouraging word and a pat on the back rather than persuasion and trying to persuade people toward righteousness, persuade people to turn to God. But I, I would submit to you today, and by the way, and they call that love, but I would submit to you today that if there's somebody that's on the path to destruction, and if there's somebody that's on the wrong path today, 
They really don't need to be patted on the back. And they don't need to be encouraged as they go. Folks, they need to be persuaded. See, because what people want today is to say, oh, you know what, yeah, ultimately we all believe the same thing. And whatever you believe is as a God for you, it's all the same. But the problem with that is, is it's just not so. And we need to persuade people and let people know, listen, it's not about religion. It's not about your church. It's not about your baptism. I want to persuade you today through the Word of God, through the truth, and, and, and with the Spirit of God working, persuade you that Jesus loves you. You can really know Him. I want to persuade you. Persuasion, it's challenging to try to persuade somebody. But he says, knowing the terror of the Lord. Boy, I read a quote the other day, and I thought it was really good. I would rather... Uh, boy, I wish I'd wrote it down and memorized it. Uh, but, but it said something along the lines of this. Basically, I would rather people think that I was offensive while I'm trying to love them instead of loving them and not being offensive. You know, there's something to that effect. In other words, I'd rather tell you the truth. I'd rather tell you the truth. We, I talk about it all the time. We want our doctors to tell us the truth. We might not like what they say, but we want them to tell us the truth. And if they really care for us, they will. We want people to be honest with us. We want honest politicians. <laughs> I couldn't help but laugh. But I do want to insert something there. Praise God, there's a lot of good Christian, there's a lot of good conservative people that are getting involved in politics today. So we don't just have to quit, call, we don't have to keep calling them all liars. We can get some people like you, perhaps, in office that aren't lying. I just put that out there. But we want people to be honest. And so, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That was part of Paul's motive. Quickly, I'll say this. In the same chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, the Bible says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Man, if we love people, we'll tell them the truth. What is our motivation today? Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. We're supposed to be persuaders. And so may God help us to do that, amen. He stood there as we do. Also in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, the Bible says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're representatives of the kingdom of heaven. And so Paul stood there as an ambassador. And so we're to be ambassadors. We're to show people, starting with our families, starting with our neighborhood, starting with anyone around us that will listen, we're to show them, to tell them the truth and show them the love of Christ. So we see Paul's motive, but we also see his method. The Bible says that he stood there. The Bible says, verse 25, that he reasoned. That is sometimes uh, translated and used as preaching. You know what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.17? The, the, the Apostle Paul once again said, For Christ sent me not to baptize. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? That, 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 really, that, that verse, just by, while I'm on my way here, little rabbit trail, that verse is interesting if you believe in baptismal regeneration. Because he said, Christ sent me not to baptize. And just real quick, before I get off that rabbit trail and back on track, Anybody want to guess how many, how many people Jesus baptized in his ministry? Zero. Amen. Interesting, isn't it? People make such a big deal about it. Baptism's important, but not for salvation, not, not for us to know Christ. But he said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach. 
<laughs> Preach. Let me tell you something. We're talking about his method today. People say, Preacher, don't you know that preaching isn't real popular today? You need to get up there, give a cool little talk, you know, uh, tell, a, tell a nice little story, talk about the flowers on little Willie's grave. Five, ten minutes at the most, let people get out of there. Don't you know pre people, ain't, people aren't digging preaching these days, preacher? Let me tell you something. People weren't digging preaching in Paul's day. You know what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18? He says that the, full, that, the, that, that, the, that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish. They thought preaching, they thought preaching was dumb back then. Just like many people do today. But I want to tell you something today. God still works through preaching. Many of us are in the book of Acts right now. Go into the book of Acts and look at, look at, the, look at the... When you talk about cause and effect, look at what happened after signs and wonders. On one list. On the other side, make a list of what happened after the preaching of the gospel. The preaching of the Word of God. Did you know that God still uses preaching and there's no wonder this is foolish to the world right i get it you get up early depending on your schedule some of you think it's late uh but you get up early on a sunday morning you know come in and sit down and let a guy you know yell at you for half an hour and you pay him to do it <laughs> and then you leave uh, you can see from, a, from the world's perspective how strange that is. By the way, these are things we also need to understand when it comes to having guests in our church and people that have never really been around church, how unusual this is. Did you know when it comes to singing, for instance, I'm glad, one of the reasons I, I enjoy and we've started having more of these singers, that's just beautiful today, wasn't it? People up here with instruments, people singing, helping lead in the congregations. Where else in the world do you go and sing? Men? You go down on your job, you have a shower, maybe. Get that image out of my head. Um, we, we, where else do you go sing? It's just different, right, from a world's perspective. But what I'm saying is Paul's method was preaching. Paul's motive was he loved these people too much. He loved them too much to be concerned about his freedom. He wasn't trying to be a hard case. He just looked at this ungodly couple, and he wasn't trying to put them down. God wasn't trying to put them down. Now, He was putting their sin down, but all for the purpose. See, the reason God brings up sin is so that people can repent of it and get to Himself. It's like Joseph and his brothers. He brought up their sin just briefly. You know why? He brought up their sin long enough for them to acknowledge it and be pardoned of it. we got to come face to face with our sin, but it's not. We don't come face to face in our sin and God just rub our noses in it and just leave us there. We come face to face with our sin. We're convicted of our sin. We need to be sorry for our sin. But the reason is so that we might turn to Christ. Uh, and so Paul's, uh, motive Paul's methods. And then lastly, I'll give you the message that he preached very quickly. He gave them a three-point message. It was this simple. Notice what it says there. He reasoned with them of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Verse 25. He dealt with them about a righteousness that they did not possess. A righteousness they did not possess. He dealt with them about a temperance they did not practice. 
And he reasoned with them about a judgment that they could not prevent. A righteousness they did not possess, a temperance they did not practice, and a judgment they could not prevent. He preached unto them righteousness, which lets us know without question that he proclaimed to them the holiness of Almighty God in contrast with the sinfulness of man. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I give the illustration of that oftentimes, sinning coming short of the glory of God. It's, it's an archery term. It could be used as an archery term to come short of the glory of God. If this whole big old thing up here, if we had a big target up uh, back here today, and you know you had your rings going around, and right here in the dead center you've got the bullseye. For those listening today, at some point in your life, if this is the bullseye of God's righteousness and holiness, most of us are way off over here somewhere. You ever shot archery and not even hit the target? Um, that's that, and most of us are okay acknowledging that. But there's some that want to argue. Because this, this is the bullseye of God's holiness, and they've hit right there. Pretty good. Right, Shane? Uh, I love pointing out Shane's world champion. I'm just proud of him. Uh, national champion. Uh, but uh, it's right there. That's not bad, especially compared to this guy. Right? Uh, I was so embarrassed one time. I was down at uh, the archery barn, Larry's. Shane's uncle, I believe. Uh, and I was down there, shoot, and I was uh, shooting, shooting my bow, and, and a dude come over with a recurve. He said, ever shot, shot a recurve? And I said, no, I never have. He said, he said, here, you want to try it? And it was just, it was a whole different feel from the, uh, the compound bow that I was using. And so I got it here, and, find, and I was just struggling to just get the feel for it. And, 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 and when I let it fly, I heard it thud, but I didn't follow where it went. And I'm kind of looking down there, you know, I mean, what is it, 20 yards? It's not far. But I'm looking down there, and I'm like, where the heck did it go? But Shane, it went up to the, one of the little rafter things up here. That was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> the guy did not ask me if I wanted to try again. <laughs> so when you got a guy doing that, and you're doing this, or this, or this, or this, or this, or this, you feel pretty good about yourself. But here's the thing. Every last one of you, among all of you, none of you have hit right there yet. None of you have hit perfect holiness. None of you have hit, hit the bullseye. Oh, you're close. Well, congratulations. But close does not count when it comes to heaven. Close does not count. God demands absolute holiness. Righteousness. He reasoned with them of righteousness. See, and what that does is it leads us to another message. And it leads us to the gospel. That's why Jesus came. See, all have sinned. Just because... You, you, you say, well, man, I've sinned, but I'm doing a lot better now. That doesn't erase the fact that you've sinned. You know, there's people that have literally committed murder. There, there are decent people that have got under the influence. And by the way, may I just throw this out there? Uh, you ought to look at some of the statistics of the people who are in prison today, especially for violent crimes, domestic violence, uh, who were under the influence of just simply alcohol when they committed these crimes. Uh, but that, but there's, uh, it's, 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 it's remarkable. But uh, 
these people that, that, that are otherwise not bad people, but they got intoxicated, they got angry, they got in a fight, they got in a fight with their spouse, and they committed murder. Well, imagine that, imagine, you know, because we know today that, that, that a speedy trial is often put off by the defense, actually. Um, but a speedy trial is, we don't have a speedy trial to very often today. So normally it might be a year or two before this person actually stands trial. And can you imagine when that person stands trial, the defense standing up and saying, Judge, I want this whole case thrown out. I know there's, there's clear evidence that this man committed murder, but the, the case needs to be thrown out. And the judge says, why is that? He's like, well, I want you to look at how the guy's lived for the last two years. He's not done anything wrong. He's been good to people. He's been honest. He's been charitable. On and on you go. The judge doesn't say, well, you know what? I guess I will let him go. Because the point I'm just simply trying to make is this. You could do better for the rest of your life, but have you ever sinned? And if that sin hasn't been dealt with, baptismal waters won't take it away. Church membership, being a good person, none of that takes it away. Only the blood of Christ. Only what Jesus did on the cross. So his first point was righteousness. His second point was self-control, temperance. Now remember who he's preaching to, Felix and Drusilla? What he was doing is he was pointing out their sin. What's your sin today? We've all sinned. You may have the sin of pride. There's people who will not... That they'll get this far to calling on the name of the Lord, but they get caught up on their sinful pride and they will not do it. And they'll say, you know what, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. Maybe later I'll, I'll, I'll do that full committing stuff, but I'm kind of committed, I'm kind of believing good enough, not good enough. But he was addressing their sin. You remember Jesus when he dealt with the woman at the well? He said, uh, why don't you call your husband? Let's have a little talk with him. Let's talk to the husband. What was he doing? He was bringing up, she was like, well, I don't have a husband. Like you said, right, you don't have a husband. And you're currently living with the man that's not your husband. What did he do? He was trying to get her to confront her sin. Because see, we're fine with God being against other people's sins, aren't we? Awful. Other people's sins are awful, aren't they? Just terrible. Ours not so bad. Um, but what's your sin? Now, I know the, the, the ultimate sin is the fact that we have not put our faith and trust in Christ. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm just simply trying to say, many of us have the one thing that we try to... He was dealing with them about their sin, their temperance. And then of judgment to come. He warned them that there is a future judgment. God will judge sin. Not one sin will go unpunished. The option that mankind has is... Okay, on this side, you have Jesus Christ that went to the cross. All, he took the judgment for all of your sins. Every last one of them. Every last one you've ever committed, every one you ever would commit, Jesus took it all. You can accept and receive that, or you can go at it on your own. And you can face the judgment for your sin on your own which is an eternity being separated from God, which is ultimately eternity in a place called the lake of fire. You know, the Bible says that hell was created for the devil and his, the devil and his angels, not for man. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he, he preached to them about righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Now, I want to close with just a couple thoughts on this message. Number one, the righteousness comes to a realization. I, I mentioned that a, a moment ago. I'm so glad 
See, the good news is the good news. A lot of times you find out the bad news before you can appreciate the good news. But I'm glad it is good news. I'm glad God doesn't just say, hey, you're all a bunch of sinners on your way to hell. Have a good day. Um, no. God lets us know His righteousness, our need for righteousness, for one thing, boys, for realization. So that we can see, so that we can get it. Oh, I am a sinner. Did anybody think that they were okay before they come to Christ? I mean, I thought, I, I thought that I was okay. I, I mean, I believed in God, said my prayers, pretty sure my good would outweigh my bad, all these kinds of things. I thought I was okay. But man, when the Spirit of God, and by, by the way, the Bible says, the Spirit of God, when He comes, He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. So when the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, begins to real, reveal to your heart, man, I am a sinner. I'm hitting, I may be hitting close in my standard, but I'm not hitting the mark. I need So this, the, the preaching of righteousness is for the point of realization. The purpose for the Ten Commandments is for us to understand that we don't measure up to God's standard. Okay? So righteousness leads to realization. What's the next one? Temperance. Temperance is self-control. He's looking at these two people and says, you two are out of control. But you know what it tells us, though? It tells us that there's a responsibility. There's a responsibility. If you acknowledge your need for Christ, if you acknowledge your sinfulness, respond, the, 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 the preaching of righteousness and the temperance, the preaching of that, can lead to repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of actions. Repentance begins... For me, for instance, when I repented of thinking I was good enough and I repented of thinking my good outweighed my bad, I changed my mind about that. So I changed my mind about that and in doing so, I said, Lord, I want you to be my Savior. Will I, I want you to save me. I need you. I want your plan, not my plan. You know, repentance is just as simple as that. There's some of you that are here today. You're here today because you repented. There were some of you that were thinking about not coming today. But then you changed your mind. How do we know you changed your mind? Because you're here today. So biblical repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of actions. He's preaching about temperance, wasn't he? You guys need to get it together. You guys are living in excess. You're doing everything you want to do. You think you're free, but you're really bound. See, so righteousness, responsibility, and then lastly, rescue. The preaching of judgment is not just to rain down fire and brimstone. The preaching of judgment is so that people uh, may hear the gospel and repent. Then be rescued. Boy, people get the wrong idea of God. I ain't going to preach all of it right now. But God judges sin. There's no question about that. God judges sin. But He loves the sinner, which is you and, and me. I can't believe that God, you know, in the Old Testament would send down rain and destroy the entire earth with a flood. What kind of God is that? I'm glad we don't have the Old Testament God anymore. Folks, there's no Old Testament God, New Testament God. It's the same God. But let me tell you something about that flood. Let me tell you that the oldest man that ever lived, anybody know his name? Methuselah. Oldest man that ever lived. Uh, Methuselah, you know what his name means? Upon his death, it will come. Is that right? 
oldest man that ever lived in the Bible, 900-something years. Why? That's how much... He named the guy, upon his death, it, judgment, will come. You remember Rahab the harlot? I can't believe that God would, God, God would you, know, uh, you know, want the entire land of Canaan destroyed. What about the opportunity for every one of those people to repent? Every one of them. Every one of them could have did just like Rahab did. Jonah went to Nineveh, and he preached, judgment's coming. But what happened? And remember, what was it, three days? Two days? It was a couple days. Judgment's coming. God's judgment's going to fall on this city. He talked to them about righteousness. But then there was a responsibility there. There was temperance, if you will. There was rescue. That's what God wants to do. Uh, and then, then, I, then I close as, as everyone stands. And as uh, Sonia, if you'd come back to the piano, please, as we prepare to dismiss. But please listen to these closing comments. Opportunity. It's very possible. Listen. It is very possible for a man or a woman to be moved as a result of the proclamation of God's Word, and yet to remain unchanged. Felix trembled at this message. But it's a sad, sad truth. This is no ordinary message. You know where this, remember where this whole thing started? It's about opportunity. Oh yeah, I'm just here because of this, that, and the other. That's why you say you're here. God says you're here because... He wants to deal with that sin. He wants to forgive you of your sin. He wants you to come to Him. He wants you to be saved if you're not saved. That's why you're here. That's why you're hearing the message. But there's a danger of being stirred and still unchanged. Felix heard the message. God Almighty ordained it. God Almighty set a date with this man, an appointment with Felix. The, think about it. These two, uh, when we talk about providence, these two probably would have never went and heard Paul preach. So God brought Paul to them. This is a wicked couple, but think about how much God loved them. An opportunity. But they left unchanged. Now, according to the record, Felix never really became happy. Remember that's what his name means? Felix never became happy. According to the records that we know, Drusilla, maybe she thought to herself, you know, someday, someday maybe I will heed that message. But instead she goes to party at Pompeii. Goes to vacation. She had no idea that that would be her last night on earth. We don't know. There's no promise of tomorrow. There's only the promise of right now. And if you're here today and God's speaking to your heart, I ask you to respond. Mackenzie sent me this message a little bit earlier. I thought it was an interesting quote on procrastination. Procrastination is the arrogant assumption that God owes you another opportunity to do what you had time to do. The arrogant assumption that God owes you another opportunity to do what you had time to do. Hey, is God working on your heart today? You may not be trembling, but has God perhaps awakened your conscience, your need for Him? 
If so, you can be saved today. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. And I pray that you'll help our hearts to be tender to you right now, Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, right before we're dismissed, I ask you today, do you know Christ as your Savior? You say, oh, I'm a religious person. I've been baptized. I believe in God. But have you come face to face with your sin and your need for Him? See, God doesn't want your goodness and then for you to add Jesus to that. Or your church and then to add Jesus to that. Folks, Jesus said, I am the way. If there was any other way to be saved, God would have let us do that. But it's only through Christ. Have you accepted Him today? Do you know Him as your Savior? If you don't, I tell you, He wants to know you today. He does know you, and He wants you to know Him. Would you be willing to turn to Him, or would you put it off? Would you be willing from your heart today to cry out to God and say, Dear God, please forgive me of my sins. I acknowledge my sinfulness before you today. But I changed my mind about my sin. I changed my mind about my self-righteousness. And Lord, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Could you cry out to God from your heart a prayer like that? The Bible says, With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. Heavenly Father, once again, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for that day that I was just going to a funeral. That's all I was doing. I was just supporting a friend. But God, on your side, you were letting me hear the message. You were letting me come face to face with my need for you. And Lord, you saved my soul. And I pray, God, there's anybody here that needs to be saved, that they'll be saved today. Thinking about procrastination, I am terrible at it. I pray that you'll help me, God, to be more responsible with what you've called me to do and when you've called me to do it, Lord. But uh, bless us each as we go, dear Lord. Help us to be faithful as a church. Help us to be faithful as individuals, to be like Paul, to have our motives right, to have our methods right, to have our message right. And we'll thank you for that, dear Lord. Hey, thanks for being here today. I'm going to ask... Uh, I'm going to ask Chad Gross if he would dismiss us in a word of prayer.